Uh, I, I know that Frank Edwards is a retired uh, lieutenant from the police force. Is there, any, is there anyone else here that, that's a member of the police force that I don't know about? Any, anyone else? So, so, Frank, I just want you to know, no offense, all right, <laughs> about, about what I'm about to say. But, but, but let me ask you this, right? Put your hand up. In fact, put two hands up like this. If you've ever been stopped by the police while you were driving your car, anybody? Put both hands up. <laughs> Remain silent. You know, anything you say can be used against you, all right? All right, so there's a lot of us here this morning. Did you see that? Do that again one more time. Did you see that? My goodness, they are out to get us, <laughs> you know? So, 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 so here, here's what I suggest. And like I said, again, my heart is to, is to share with you a practical message. So what I want you to do is that I want you to, in the event that you've ne- this never happened to you before or it's going to happen to you again, because inevitably it might, you know, I want you to pull over, okay, as far to the right as possible, as safely as possible, okay? Do that. Then I want you to open your window. I want you to... I want you to shut off your car, and then I want you to take your keys out of the ignition and put them on the dashboard. This way, you are sending a message to the police officer, you're not going to run, okay? And I want you to put both hands on the steering wheel. And above all things, I don't want you to get out of the car. I just want you to stay, stay right there with both hands on the wheel. Make no sudden movements, okay? This is just practical advice for you, all right? And now, especially... I do not want you to say any of the following things, okay? Number one, I do not want you to say, Officer, how long is this going to take? I'm in a hurry. (laughs) Bad idea. Don't say that. Number two, do not say, Officer, I was just trying to keep up with the traffic and they were so far ahead of me. Not a good idea. Number three, don't say, Thanks for the ticket, Officer. The last guy let me go. (laughs) Again, not a good idea. And do you realize that I pay your salary? Oh, man, that's, that's a no-no, right? Hey, I thought you had to be in good physical shape to be a police officer. <laughs> I put an appendage to that. Isn't, isn't there a, 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 a special going on at Dunkin' Donuts right now? All right, no. I'm sure you've heard that always, Frank. Uh, listen, aren't you the guy from the Village People band? Sorry, officer, I didn't realize that my radar detector wasn't working. I mean, that, that, that's a great one. And, and this is the last one, right? You, you're, you're not going to look in the trunk, are you? Don't ever say that. Don't, don't ever say that. Here, here's the point. Responding appropriately when you've been caught doing something wrong is not only a good idea, it's the right thing to do. Responding appropriately. You know, making excuses or, or coming up with with uh, some sort of fictitious reason for, for, for getting caught, no, no matter what it is that you've done, is not a good idea. I read the story of a 14-year-old who had actually caused the interstate parkway to be closed for several hours. He, he, had, he had robbed a Jeep. The keys were in the car. He jumped in the car, took off with the Jeep. Now, the owner's boyfriend saw what was going on, and he calls 911 to report the theft. He also gets in his car to follow this 14-year-old, right? The, pers- the police begin the pursuit, and it's a high-speed chase at this point. Now, now he crashes into another car, and the Jeep rolls over and off of the parkway into kind of a, a gully, right? 
Um, while his injuries were severe, he survived the crash, right? But, but, but listen, th- this is not the, the shocking point of this whole story is that he was 14 years old, you know? But, but really the disturbing part or the discouraging part of this whole story is what his mother said concerning her son. She said, listen, she said, it was a crime of opportunity that would have never happened if the keys were not left in the car. Yeah, it also would be a crime of opportunity if, if Henry Ford never invented cars, right? Listen, she says this, anyone could have taken the car. My son was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She says, I'm not downplaying my son's role in taking something that didn't belong to him, but I'm saying the owner bears some responsibility for leaving the keys in the car. And what about the boyfriend? He should have never followed my son. That kind of excuse and and really blame shifting, putting the blame on on somebody else for your bad behavior really only will, will... increase bad behavior and, and, and will never confront anyone to, to make a change in their life. In his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, Philip Yancey quoted him on a number of occasions, responded to a producer of a TV program who called him up right after the death of Princess Diana and uh, wanted him to, to appear on the program and to answer this question. We want, to, we want you to explain how God could possibly have allowed such a terrible accident. We want you to explain how God could have permitted such a terrible accident. And he said, this is what he said, without even thinking, I said, could it have been something to do with a drunk driver driving 90 miles an hour through a narrow tunnel? How is it that it's somehow God's fault about what happened or that God is to blame for what happened? And then Yancey in his book he describes several other incidents that, that, that are kind of similar in, in their nature. One was uh, a boxer by the name of, of Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Ever heard of Ray Boom Boom Mancini? Well, he actually, in a boxing match, killed his opponent with a right hook. And at the press conference, th- th- this is one of the things that he said in, in answering, answering the question as to the death of the, his opponent that, that died in the ring. He said, sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. Sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. In a letter written to James Dobson uh, from Focus on the Family, a young woman in anguish asked this question. Four years ago, I was dating a man and became pregnant. I was devastated. I asked God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Susan Smith, anybody remember Susan Smith from South Carolina? She's the, she's the mother who drove her two, her two boys into a lake while they were strapped in a child's car seat in the back of the car. She drove she drove these two boys into the lake, and then she, she blamed this on this phantom carjacker, right? But when it came down to re- really pressing her and confessing, one of the things that she said was this, Oh God, oh God, why did you let this happen to me? Blame shifting, making excuses and not taking responsibility for one's own actions is not only a, a, a dumb thing to do, is not only ludicrous in this case to blame God, but, but, it's, but it's actually an evil thing to do. 
A 15-year-old by the name of Anthony Stewart received a sentence of two to six years in juvenile detention facility by Judge William Walsh for the robbery, listen, of a grand total of seven cents. He got a sentence of between two to six years in a juvenile detention uh, facility for, for robbing seven cents. Now, 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 the reason why the judge was so harsh was not because of the severity of the crime. It was because he refused to plead guilty to the charge, even though there were eyewitnesses and the victim himself, who was an elderly man, who he, who he robbed with a BB gun and then knocked him to the ground and rummaged through his, his pockets. He got a grand total of seven cents. And this is what the judge said at sentencing. He said, the reason why I'm giving you such a harsh sentence is not because of the severity of the crime, but because of your lack of repentance. And he reminded him that you were clearly guilty. Eyewitnesses put you at the scene, and yet you still denied it. Well, the judge says, that's going to cost you. Can I say this, that if you're not a follower of Christ, what I want you to know is this, is that Jesus Christ has made a way to rescue us from the guilt and the condemnation and the shame that we all suffer being in this world and having sinned for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But God has made a way. God has made a way to rescue us from this sentence of guilty that is pronounced over each and every one of us. You know, Jesus said, said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned, but I've come that the world might be saved. You know, have you ever heard that expression, confession is good for the soul? It's true. It really is true. In fact, there's a great verse in the book of Proverbs that says, whoever tries to conceal or hide his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes the same shall obtain mercy. There's a very simple principle. If you, if you pass the blame, or if you blame shift, or if you make excuses, it will not go well for you. It will cost you. But if you confess and you repent or you forsake the same, you'll obtain mercy. You know, it's, it's amazing that God sent his son, and though his son was innocent, as a substitute, he became condemned as a substitute for us. You know what? If, if, if I were to, to punish my son, Anthony, Anthony, raise your hand. If I were to punish my son, I, I, I would, for the, for the crimes of someone else, for the crimes of Dave, I would be punishing myself because the bond between my son and myself are unbro- unbreakable, un- unbreakable, excuse me. Now, the amazing thing is, is that you, you, you lift that exponentially when we talk about the eternal father and son, the son who was always in the bosom of his father. And so, and so God was, in essence, punishing himself by punishing his son, and he had the courage to bear the punishment for the, for the crimes that we have committed. And if we blame shift, it will cost us. But if we, if we trust in Christ, the blame and the, and the cost has already been paid for by Christ. 
You know, it's interesting, a study at the University of Connecticut Connecticut found that cardiac patients who suffered heart attacks and those who who blamed others or or, or who didn't take responsibility for their their lifestyle, the, the study proved that after several years after their initial heart attack, that they were bound to have, the odds of having a second heart attack went up exponentially. But for those who had a heart attack initially, but made a change in their life, and, 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 and especially this, had a thankful attitude that, that, that they appreciated life because of the second chance that they were given, had a way, way less chance of ever having a second heart attack. You know what, what that study shows? And I'll put a spiritual you know, explanation on it, that a thankful heart is a healthy heart. And that when we cultivate a gratitude for all that Christ has done for us, we become healthy. That his, that his desire for us is that we would have life and have it more abundantly. But to blame others for our actions and to make excuses really is a part of the fallen nature. It's a, it's, it's, you know, it, it goes way back to the garden. You know, when, 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 the, when the Lord catches Adam and Eve and says, what have you done? Eve says, she points to the serpent. She says, the serpent made, beguiled me. And then, of course, even before there were buses, Adam throws his wife under the bus. And, and, and to make it even more hideous than that, really, the implication is to blame God because, because Adam said, the woman you gave me, she made me eat. And so, and so to pass blame is, is natural, to, to blame shift and to make excuses for our own, but, but if we do so, it will cost us. But if we allow Jesus Christ himself to take the blame for us, it costs him, and it costs him everything. I want to share this morning a couple of verses of Scripture with you. Maybe it's some of the most powerful, maybe some of the most practical for, for, for those of us who are Christ followers, to have victory in our lives, and, 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 and this really is so important. All of the elements that I've used so far in these illustrations are, are in these verses, repentance, confession, looking toward Jesus Christ as the only means by which we can, we can be free from this word, condemnation. I mean, even the, even the word itself, condemnation, is foreboding, it's, 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 it's depressing, it is, it is hope-killing to be condemned. You know, in, in California, last week there was an earthquake, and there are buildings that I saw on TV that were condemned, that is, that they were slated now for destruction, they could no longer be occupied. Listen, something of value now is taken away because it was condemned. Listen, what is it like? I mean, who can imagine a human being that becomes condemned and is slated for destruction? That, that, that's beyond imagination. The loss of a building is one thing, but the loss of a soul, that is beyond our calculation. That word condemnation brings fear and foreboding of emotions. To condemn a human soul is beyond our calculation. And yet it's against the backdrop of this dark reality that Jesus Christ is so brilliantly and radiantly seen as the Savior who alone can rescue us from this condemnation that's hanging over our heads, a future wrath which is to come 
to everyone outside of Christ. Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at one or two verses there, but then we're going to go to chapter 8. And you know what? Maybe the division of chapters right here is not, was not the greatest idea, you know, but, but, but nevertheless, the division of chapters are to help us, and these verses are to help us to, to get around Scripture. But, but, but I, I want you to see that this is the greatest weapon that you and I have against sin, temptation, and the tempter himself. There is no greater weapon that we have than the knowledge that there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And so Paul, Paul is describing in the seventh chapter, if we had more time, I'd read more verses. I would just commend that you should read that on your own. But, but I, I would just simply boil it down to say this, that in the seventh chapter, the apostle is talking about the struggle of of, of, of sin, that, that when I desire to do good, he says, I find this principle, this law, that evil is present with me, and I don't want to do what is wrong. I delight in the law of God. I want to be pleasing to God, Paul says. That's the heart of every child of God who's been born again, that you, you want to be pleasing to God. But there's a struggle that takes place. There's this thing called a sin nature, this indwelling sin that, that, that affects each and every one of us. And Paul expresses that frustration and he says, is there anybody who can rescue me? Is there any victory for me? Is there any way I can, I can conquer these temptations in my life? And so we pick up then in Romans 7, verse 24. And he cries out the, the cry of the human heart, O wretched man that I am. That, that word wretched is, is not something that we normally use. Today, that would be PC, politically incorrect, to, to, to talk about the, the sinfulness of the human depravity of man. But that's what he says. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, I've been sold into sin. The soul that sins shall surely die. What else could we do? You know, you, you remember the song, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. It is the acknowledgement that, that I've done something wrong. It's the acknowledgement that, that I am justly condemned before God. And so Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from this body, literally corpse of death? Who is it that can save me? Who is it that can rescue me? Come to my aid this body, this corpse of death. And then he, he bursts into praise and says, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, there is a solution. There is an answer. There is a remedy. There is a healing for us. And so he says in verse eight, therefore, that's the sum, that's the line. Here, here is the whole sum of chapter seven and the frustration of, of, of struggling through sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As horrifying of a word as condemnation was, now the little word that sets before it changes everything. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And what's interesting is that in the first century, they would have understood the graphic illustration that Paul is using when he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We, we, we recently heard again this last week that ISIS has, has executed the second American by beheading him. Listen, this is not just an execution. This is a means of torture. And in that first century, listen, 
that when, when, when the empire or the state wanted to execute somebody, it wasn't just a matter of taking their life. It was a matter of torturing them as well. And one of the illustrations that Paul is using here is a, a method of execution that was absolutely horrendous. They would chain a prisoner to to a corpse that was, that was already beginning to putrefy and decay, arm to arm, leg to leg, head to back. And you would carry that corpse within that short distance of your, of your prison cell. And, and however you would sit or however you would lay, you would lay with that putrefying corpse. And, and eventually it was a slow, agonizing method of execution. And, and, and the corruption and, and just imagine all of the, the fluid and whatever else that the corruption of a corpse would, would bring would, would, would ultimately bring the demise of that person as well. And that's what Paul says is that's what the sinful nature is like. This thing that is stuck to us is, is, is corrupting and it ultimately leads to death itself. And Paul is crying out, who can possibly free us from this? Who can possibly bring us such liberty and freedom? And then, as you know the answer, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to know that there is, that there is hope for us, that there is someone who can rescue us. God, who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And he has, he has rescued us from future wrath. He's rescued us even now from the condemnation and the guilt that we bear as a result of being born into a fallen world. There is now no condemnation. There never will be condemnation. Not tomorrow, not in eternity. There will never be condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And, and here I want to share a wonderful quote. Please listen to these words very carefully from Sam Storms. Because it will be the practical thing that you need to help you in victory against temptation. Listen to what he says. It is only as we think about and reflect and meditate on the glorious fact that because of his death on the cross, his death, we will never ever be condemned that we will find the power and the incentive and the desire to live as if We were dead to sin and temptation. The incentive, the desire, the power to live as though we were dead to sin. If you are dead to sin, sin no longer has dominion over you. If you are dead to sin, sin doesn't have power over you. You cannot be tempted. Yes, you can be tempted, but you cannot yield to that temptation. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. If you will do what, 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 what he says here, reflect, meditate, and think about the glorious fact that Jesus Christ has paid it all. And I want to share this statement with you that I composed. Our greatest weapon against temptation and sin is the knowledge that all of our sins have been paid for in full. When you know that, when you know that he has taken your sins and he's nailed it to the cross, sin no longer has power over you. Temptation no longer has power over you. Let that sink down into your soul. You see, it is only those who are in Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross 
that there is now therefore no condemnation. It is because of what he has done, not because of anything that you or I could possibly do. And the reality of this gift is that God did it for us, undeserving. That, this, is, this is grace. There is nothing like this in all religion. All of the religions of this world are talking about how you can improve yourself, how you could reach nirvana, how you could reach you know, that, that place of paradise. The only way that we could reach God himself is through what Jesus Christ has done for us. What this means for us is this, that from this moment on, if you believe this, there is never a valid reason for you again to fear or to be anxious about your relationship with God or about your destiny. You will never have to be afraid. You will ne- if you believe that there is no condemnation for you now and forever, you do not have to be afraid of your relationship, your eternal destiny before God. And I want to say this, and this is important too, rather than use this as an excuse to continue in sin, or rather use this as a means of, 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 of justifying or, or satisfying yourself or rationalizing your bad habits. Rather, I believe that this is, this is what Sam said, that it, it, it is the incentive and the desire for us. It is the motivation why, why we should live a life that is pleasing unto God because this is, there, there is no other love like this. That it's love that compels us now to follow Christ. Listen to this. This is another quote from Sam Storms. And again, very powerful. Please get a hold of this. Living under condemnation, he says, actually strengthens and solidifies sin in your life. Listen to that. If you live with with a guilty conscience and a sense of, of, of your being condemned, it actually strengthens sin in your life. How? The pressure of condemnation, the feelings of shame, the fear of judgment eventually become unbearable. You need relief and you're driven to self-pity and eventually to self-indulgence. We despair of ever being free or of ever feeling good about ourselves. Sinning then becomes even more attractive, an outlet, an appealing escape, a way of easing the pressure. I've been there. I've done that. I know what that's like. And I know this is absolutely true. What is he saying? He's saying this, is that there is nothing that paralyzes a person more than guilt, shame, and condemnation. It paralyzes you with the power of sin. The only sin that we can defeat is the sin that we know that we've been forgiven of. And this is so important. When you, when you feel clean before God, when you know that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it gives you the energy and the power to say no to sin, to, to, to overcome the tempter and to overcome all temptation. Now, let me just answer a couple of questions quickly this morning. Two, in fact. Number one, who gets to enjoy this incredible experience? Who, who gets to enjoy the benefits of now there is no condemnation, all right? Paul doesn't say it's the Christ followers who are free from condemnation, who are sinless or who are perfect. 
No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, he says the only ones who are experiencing no condemnation are those that are in Christ Jesus, who are safe and secure in Christ. And Christ is in them, the hope of glory. This state of justification has nothing at all to do with good deeds or good works or Bible reading or going to church or, or any of those things. It is simply the connection that happens when we, when we become people of faith, when we believe and repent and believe the gospel. Let me ask you this question. Here, here, here's the second question. When is it true of you and me? When is this no condemnation true? Notice what Paul says. Now there is no condemnation. Not when you get older, not when you get more mature, not when you become a pastor, not when you become a missionary, not when you read your Bible cover to cover, not when you have gray hairs on your temples. No, no, no. It is now there is therefore no condemnation. That means right now. So let me ask you another question. Have you, have you ever watched any of those shows on TV about like forensic files or, or crime investigative stories, right? Frank, I know you have, right? As, as a former policeman, sure you have, right? I mean, I, I, I actually like some of those shows, right? But, but, but there's this word that, that I've learned. It's called luminol. And you know what luminol is? It's, it's that chemical substance. Actually, it's the same chemical substance that are in the glow sticks, you know, the, kid, the, 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 the kids play with. When they, when they break it, it begins to glow. Well, the amazing thing is, is, that, is that even though you try to cover a crime, remember what I said about before, if, if, you, if you attempt to, uh, whoever covers their sins shall not prosper, but the ones who confess and forsake the same. No, no matter what kind of a crime that you've committed, if it involves blood evidence, and you try to wash it, you try to bleach it, you try to scrub it clean, luminol has this incredible ability to, even after you've tried to sponge it clean, is, is to show even trace amounts of blood. It's sprayed on there and a blue glow happens as a result of that. You know, the amazing, the amazing thing is, luminol brings out the evidence and, the, and brings into light even that trace amount of evidence of blood. But the only thing, you remember that old song, what can, what can wash away my sins? What, what can make me clean again? How ironic that the only thing that can cover us, the only thing that can wash us clean is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's because the only, the only blame shifting that God will ever allow is the blame shifting that he has placed on his Son. And the Bible says that God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God made him to be sin for us so that we through him might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. There's, there's no greater love than this. The other night I was uh, watching TV and I, I turned over. My wife was, was, was reading something on the computer and uh, I see tears coming down her face. And, and, and like any man, I would, I, right away, I said, what, what's the matter? What's the matter? Did, did, did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? You know, right, right away, you know. Uh, she, said, she says, no, you didn't do anything wrong. She says, I just love a good rescue story. I know that about her. Uh, and she began to tell me the story about a, a, a young woman by the name of Rebecca who lives in Brooklyn, 
but who was visiting her father in Boston for the day because it was, she was celebrating his birthday. And what she decided to do that day was to go for a jog around a local reservoir. And as she began her jog around the reservoir, she noticed a stroller that was, was beginning to roll toward the edge of the reservoir. There was a 10-foot drop, and there were two, two, two ladies, probably mothers, who, who, were, who were talking, and they were so, I guess, distracted by, 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 by their behavior or their, their, their conversation. They didn't notice the baby stroller was rolling toward the edge of the reservoir, and, and, and there it went, fl- went flying right over into the water, upside down, and these two little kids, two and four-year-old, were now in the water. Well, when Rebecca saw that, she didn't hesitate for one single moment, but she jumped into the water, a couple of moments later, the mother jumps in the water and, and she doesn't know how to swim and now she needs to be saved as well. But, but ironically, listen, ironically, Rebecca used to be a lifeguard and knew how to handle such high-stress situations. Well, to make a long story short, was she was successful in not only helping the babies, and, and the only thing that she wanted to do was to hear those babies cry. And when, and, when, and when they began crying, she knew that they were all right. Others came along and they helped, they helped get that baby stroller out of the water and that mother out of the water as well. But I love, I love most of all what a policeman who came on the scene said. This is what he said. He says, I think... God had a plan, and she was sent here today to save those kids. I hear the echo of the gospel in that one single statement. God had a plan to save us. God sent his son to rescue us by drowning in our guilt and condemnation. And Jesus Christ didn't think twice about jumping into the reservoir of our sin and misery in order to become our Savior. Our takeaway this morning is simple this, that because there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ, being right with God makes doing right possible. Being right with God makes doing right possible because there's no greater love than this. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation, but it doesn't end with that. It goes on to say that we who are trusting in Christ, there there is this incredible future for us that nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. And not only that, but we are not just conquerors, but we are more than conquerors through the one who has loved us. Folks, we we have so much cause to celebrate and, and the reason why we are to be the most thankful people that are walking on the face of the earth and the most joyful people is because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has given us another chance, a chance of eternal life and that life is in the Son. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the word of the Lord that is so rich and so deep and so practical for us to, to enable us to conquer sin and temptation. That Jesus, you came to not only 
pay the penalty of our sin, to deliver us from the power of sin, but also even to set us free from the pleasure of sin, that misery that, that is experienced when condemnation comes our way. You even set us free from that. And I, I thank you so much for that. And I pray this morning that if there's anyone here today that is not in a relationship with you, that as I've pointed to Jesus, that, that they will look to you, Jesus, as the only means whereby men must be saved. And that their hearts would be opened by the Holy Spirit and that faith would happen, the gift of faith that comes through the, the kindness of the Savior, for it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. From beginning to end, salvation belongs to God. And so, Father, I pray today that if there's anyone here, Lord, save those that call upon the name of Jesus. For, for your word is a promise that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the simplest promise that even a child can understand. If you're here this morning and you would like to do that, just in, you know what? The most articulate prayer you can say is, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be my Savior, Jesus. And for those of you this morning who are followers of Christ and you may be struggling with, with temptation, you, you, you may be struggling with a sense of guilt or condemnation, please this morning let this word sink down deeply into your heart and know that right now, now, if you trust in Christ, there is now no, and there never will be, never ever will be condemnation for you in Christ. Amen.